Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hello and welcome back to the B-Movie Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Adam Kautzer, and with me today, as always, uh, is my other co-host, or your other co-host, <laughs> Scott Phillips. Uh, today, actually, we are continuing coverage of the Chattanooga Film Festival. Um, I had posted some uh, some articles on the site about the festival, uh, an opener, like a curtain opener of sorts, and then uh, talking about short films, uh, the short films that I saw. Today, we're actually actually changing it over to the podcast because we're bringing Scott on because Scott was virtually at CFF like I was uh, to talk about the experience as a whole, talk about some of the films that we really, really liked coming out of the the, the, the stuff, some of the stuff that we saw that was like, okay, uh, and then also, most importantly, uh, um, the the um the events or like the q and a's because that's kind of what you go like some of the some of the big reasons why you actually go to a film festival so um to ha- uh, to talk about it uh, i'm actually going to hand it over to scott because he's actually been to the chattanooga film festival when it was a brick and mortar like over the last couple of years and kind of talk about uh cff and what it means to him and then we'll kind of talk about uh the virtual version and how that came about yeah, I, uh, I, Chattanooga has happened, I think this was its sixth year, and I have attended five of them. I uh, I missed one, uh, one year, just, you know, personal life conflicts and stuff like that, and just didn't get to go. Uh, so I have attended four years in person, and then one year online. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, the only negative is the obvious negative, uh, which is interact interacting with all your fellow film fans, mm-hmm. you know, that that's the only negative to this. And so it's, it's, you know, within the very definition of why this was done, uh, you know, they had to do it this way because you couldn't go interact with all your fellow film fans, uh, safely in this COVID world. And so rather than, you know, not have a festival at all, they decided to take it online. And, you know, there's, there's always a discussion in these virtual film festivals of how are we going to do it? Are we going to have a set schedule? And so you can either log in at that time and catch that movie or you miss that movie, uh, like a regular film festival, you know, if you can attend the screening, attend the screening, if you can't, you miss it, or there may be a replay of it. Uh, a few days later, depending on how long the festival is, uh, or do you do it as some kind of, you know, VOD, uh, you know, portal type arrangement. And so that's what they did at Chattanooga. They had a, like a VOD portal that you could log into. You could see the movies, uh, at any time in any order, however you wanted to over the course of the four day weekend. And then what they had was the, um, the special events were at a time certain if you wanted to see it live. And so you could therefore, you know, if you wanted to watch 
you know, Skull, The Mask, which is one I know we'll be talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the Q&A is, you know, at Saturday afternoon at five o'clock. And so if you want to hear the Q&A live, you need to have seen the movie by then. So those were kind of the only deadlines that existed. And the only real reason to watch the Q&As and the panels live was because you could ask questions. You could type in a question, uh, send it into the moderator. And if they thought it was appropriate, they would use it. I asked questions and probably almost every single one of them. Uh, and so, uh, so yeah, so, you know, the only downside is not being able to fraternize with, uh, uh, your fellow film fans and, and, you know, go to the, you know, favorite watering holes or restaurants in, uh, in town and, and hang out together and talk about what you've seen and stuff like that. I mean, we have, you know, you and I both, I'm sure have, you know, festival friends around the country that we see once a year. I mean, I have a group of people. Uh, that I see every year that I go to Fantastic Fest and we hang out and, you know, have a drink in the highball uh, bar right next door to the Alamo Draft House. And so you get a chance to catch up with folks and and see everybody. And so you just can't really do that uh, virtually. I mean, I think there's some things that they could do. Uh, where maybe Mm -hmm. you add like almost like little chat rooms or, you know, places where, you know, people who've uh, watched a certain film could log in uh, and and hook up with other people who have seen that film and want to talk about it. I mean, I think there are ways that you could certainly expand and improve on this experience. Uh, but uh, but it was just, you know, an opportunity to uh, not miss out on the films. And then also they had, as you were discussing, you know, live podcast recordings, uh, panels, Q&As, uh, and things like that that you could uh, could tune into along the way. So overall, I mean, content-wise, uh, it was very representative of what the Chattanooga Film Festival has always been like. And the okay. only thing that is is kind of missing uh, is celebrity sightings and the ability to meet and greet people. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. you walk down the hall and there's you know, Elijah Wood or, you know, Joe Bob Briggs or, you know, somebody that's involved in, in one of the films or in one of the panels and you'd have a chance to stop, say, Hey, shake hands, get a pick, whatever the case may be. And so of course you're not going to get that online. Uh, so, you know, there's, uh, my wife once asked me, you know, what's the big deal about, you know, film festivals? Like, you know, mm-hmm. why can you just take a weekend off, stay home and watch a bunch of stuff you haven't seen? And, and my answer was always, well, you know, it's kind of like, if you were a native speaker of Portuguese and you never get to speak Portuguese to anybody in the course of your day, Mm -hmm. and then you have these events that you can go to however many times a year where you hang out with all people who speak Portuguese. That sounds, that's a perfect analogy. (laughs) And so it's just like, you know, when you speak with your just average movie going friends who see stuff at the multiplex and don't deep dive into this stuff. You sit around talking with them and you sound like you're speaking Portuguese. They don't know the filmmakers you're talking about. They don't know the movies that you're talking about. And it's just because it isn't their thing. You might have the same experience if they started talking about their favorite NBA team and you don't follow basketball. It's exactly. not, you know, con it's not condemnation that they can't follow along. It's just it's not their thing. And so at a festival, the nice thing is is, is you're showing up at a place where it's everybody's thing. I mean, there's this knowledge level that exists uh, with so many festival goers where all of a sudden you're just immediately talking to a peer 
who is watching the same stuff you're watching and tracking the same stuff that you're tracking. And so, you know, I guess, you know, it's like hanging out at a conference of, you know, astrophysicists and you're one of the physicists. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's all about like, it's not clickish. It's clannish as I'd like to say, because like, you know, film is a, like if you're into film in the way that you and I are into film, it's 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 a clan. It's not a it's not a click because we're not like at least for my part, I'm not ex- exclusive to people. Like if if you're really willing to be like if you're really if you really got the like we always like you know we text back and forth about like addiction like like it's an addiction like it's a heroin addiction right. Uh, <laughs> um. But, like, I'm not going to, like, if you have the kind of wide-eyed gaze that I do about film and you want, and and I can see it, I'm never going to exclude you from a conversation or, like, going to look at you, like, even, like, even somebody who isn't, who just is, like, you know, the popular film fan, I'm not going to, I'm not going to not interact with them, but... this is a different kind of a clan. Like there's different clans of film, uh, of film fans. And we are a part of a, a select few. And I'm not saying that as in exclusivity, it's just the, the, the interest that we take into it is kind of like, like you mentioned basketball. I'm very much a basketball fan. Like you are a baseball fan. Like you, like we're, we're obsessives about like, like your sport that you're obsessive about is baseball. Your, my sport that I'm obsessive about is, is basketball, but I'm fan of baseball and I can talk to you about it, but I can't talk to you about it in the level at which you are. Or exactly. like you, you probably are a fan of basketball. You could talk to me, but you couldn't talk to me at the level, you know. And then we both kind of, uh, you know, we have our own affiliations with football. <laughs> but um, what I like about film festivals is exactly that: is that you get to have like-minded people because you don't pay X number of dollars to go to a festival to for just the films like for me it's the whole entire experience it's meeting new people like every time i go to a film festival with the exception of this one uh which is unfortunate is like you know meeting new people that like make my clan a little bit bigger or you know like it's the interaction and like it it's not just about the friendship it's about them like teaching you a little bit about film and stuff yeah. that you're not aware of. Exactly. And that, and that is a, it, that hits the nail on the head the most for me mm-hmm. is I think people have this idea that, you know, if you're a film critic or, or, you know, a serious, you know, blogger about film or whatever it is that you may do that somehow you feel the need to be the expert in the room. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm quite the contrary. I hate it because I want recommendations. I want people who have seen cool stuff that I haven't seen so that I can discover something new and I can get turned on to a filmmaker that I've never known before uh, and things like that. I'm not one of these people who it's like, I know what I know and I'm dismissive of everything else. And so that's one of the reasons that I listen to other people's podcasts is hoping that, you know, I'll hear about things uh, that I had never heard about before. And so that's one of the things I love going to a film festival and having somebody say, Hey, you know, have you seen this film by so-and-so? And I'm like, God, I've never even heard of it. And they're like, 
like, oh my goodness, if you like the movie we just came out of, you need to see this. And so I literally keep almost like a running list in the notes section on my phone mm-hmm. uh, so that when I get home, I don't forget all of these titles that people uh, had recommended to me. And so it's just like, you know, it's 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 going on a, a deep dive adventure with fellow deep divers is it, basically what a festival is. Absolutely. It, it definitely is. And, um, you know, there's some things that you're like, like for me, any film festival, and that's including like stuff like uh, the TMC Film Festival or the TCM Film Festival. Mm-hmm. It's never like as a film goer, like or as a as a festival goer, when I go, uh, I mean, and, and typically, you know, you and I both go as press uh, to these things. Um, right. The it's never ever ever the the films that it's never ever the films that I know that I want to see. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) It's always the films that come out of left field and smack me over the head. Um, and those are always my, those are always my favorite. There's one that we're going to be talking about, uh, today that we're only going to briefly talk about because, well, well, there's a reason for it, but the, it it was like, okay, I want to see that. And then, when I saw it, I was like, wow, that is so much better than I had expected it to be. So much better. Um, yep. And that's the kind of stuff that I love. Like, I love yeah. that. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's the excitement for me of a film festival is that. And then also, like, you know, like you said, the interactions and the, the, the Q&As. Because some, a lot of times, if, you, if the Q&As are done right, there's this off-the-cuff rawness to them this unfiltered like these unfiltered moments with either these established filmmakers or the best is the younger filmmakers that are just so excited to share their films and like you get these moments with them where they talk about it's like unfiltered unpr'd like conversation just about film yep like they're not they're not because they know they're not worried about they're not worried about like, you know, oh, yeah, we want to get into your personal life. That's not what we care about when you go to a film festival. Like, you don't, yeah. you don't want I, like it like some certain things matter. Like, you know, of course, like, you know, especially with questionable stuff. But like when I'm going to a film festival, I want to hear about the film. I don't care about somebody's personal yeah. life. Yeah, it's not it's not gotcha journalism. Yes. At a, at a film festival. No. It's, is like a community and it's very much, I mean, it sounds pretentious to say, uh, that it's very much about the art, uh, but it is. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you think there is an art to genre filmmaking, you're crazy. You know, I mean, uh, there's certainly art in films like, you know, Moonlight and, and Parasite and, you know, award winning kind of films like that. But there's also a whole lot of art to a John Carpenter film or, uh, you know, a Jeremy Sonier film or something like that. And, and so it, you know, is, is talking about the process and the way that you make a film and, you know, how did you come about, you know, getting your cast members and all of those kind of things. And so, uh, you know, and that's one of the reasons that, you know, how many genre DVDs and Blu-rays have you bought where it's the Q and a from some well-respected film festival. That's one of the extras. Absolutely. Like, so like, like on that note, like, uh, you make a perfect entryway to something that I don't think either one of us saw, but it was something that I feel like is going to be something as they make virtual film festivals, because, Okay, guys, uh, we're recording this. I just want to say this. We're recording this as of June 7th. People think that shit's opening up and that coronavirus is done. 
Fucking no, it's not. It's still around. It's going to be around for a while until we get a cure or or we get a vaccine for it. Um, so the the virtual film festival, this is not a, an old school topic. This is something that you're going to see. I mean, Fantasia, another film festival, is going to be doing mm-hmm. virtually. Um, rumors are that if Fantastic Fest goes this year, it's going to be virtual because there's no way that they can actually have a group of people inside of a theater and not have that concern. Um, but yeah, if you know, if you if you get out of the film press. Mm-hmm. And just read the press press. Exactly. <laughs> the director of public health for Austin has come out and said there will not be mass gatherings of people like that until there's a vaccine. Absolutely. And so he's probably speaking to Austin City Limits, the music festival. Mm-hmm. But it would apply just as much to Fantastic Fest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also think that it is not a coincidence that Alamo Drafthouse VOD uh, premiered here within the last few weeks. Yep. Uh, just in time to work out all the kinks before Fantastic Fest at the end of September. So, you know, please, there's been no official announcement from Fantastic Fest. Please don't say that we're saying that there has yeah. been. But I'm just saying if you put the pieces together and read the actual Austin newspaper and what the directors of public health and safety have to say about mass gatherings and then kind of read the tea leaves on 2020 going online as opposed to in person, that's what I would expect, uh, especially from the major major genre festivals uh, for the rest of the year. No, absolutely. And um, so this becomes a very interesting thing and a very uh, like interesting adjustment and pivot for fe- festivals, uh, specifically for um, like the kinds of events that they're going to be doing. Like one of the things that I found very interesting that uh, CFF did, something that we both, I don't think that we attended, which was the... Um, the the Benson and Moorhead um, commentaries. Yeah, that, sounded, that, that sounded awesome. That, that yeah. sounded awesome. I, I, we're both fans of Benson and Moorhead, and when their newest drops, whenever that is, I think that we'll probably end up having a discussion about maybe doing um, an episode about them because they are probably like of the unknown but known genre filmmakers those two guys are the ones that i'm just waiting for them to like have the big hit that makes them the guys because they right because like uh, they've been were you were you referring to synchronic yes uh, I have think... you seen that no i've not which yeah i couldn't remember if you caught that somewhere along the way last year at fantastic fest i saw that but dude when i say that i saw it it was the last thing that I saw. Oh God! <laughs> After like six days of watching movies, it was like I don't know eleven, eleven thirty, midnight, something like that. It was my last film mm-hmm. of the day on the last day I was at the festival. So I saw it and enjoyed it, but to say that my recollection of it is <laughs> crystal clear, uh, no, I was so exhausted at that point. I'm really looking forward to seeing it again. Yeah, and like so they actually did their first their their three films. Like they did uh, they've done three films that have been released, uh Resolution Spring and The Endless. Um all three films like me and Scott have seen. Um I'm a huge fan of I I'm I'm okay on Spring. Um I I think that people like it it's good. 
but it's not like it's not resolution in the endless, especially if you've seen those two and you know how they connect to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which is kind of it, it's it's really interesting. I love when filmmakers are able to make ties to their other films that are not necessarily yep. the way that you you would expect. And they did a live commentary. They did for all three of their films. Uh, CFF. Yep. Um, when they were, I guess, like when they like in the early days, and shout out to Spencer because he was one of the uh, mise en senders, um, the film club that evolved into CFF. Um, they they were really strong um, supporters of Benson and Moorhead, and it turned into this relationship there. They got them to actually do these live commentaries for all three of the films over. Three nights of the film uh, festival: Friday, Saturday, right. and Sunday. At, yeah. The the only problem was for Scott was that it was at eleven o'clock at night. Um, and if you're not at a festival uh, for this kind of stuff, it, it's really like it's difficult. Like because you're still having to deal with like you know personal stuff, and uh, so. Yep. Uh, for me, it was like, you know, I just didn't have a chance to get to them because I was watching other stuff. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, well, you know, and it's always that's always the the conflict, I guess you would say, with a, a festival is a really cool event involving a movie you've seen versus the temptation to get to see something you haven't seen. <laughs> exactly. The availability of which may not be that good in the future. No, absolutely. So it's, it's it's not easy to just say, oh well, I'll catch that when it comes out on whatever. Uh, I can still name films that I've seen at festivals that have never gotten distribution. Oh, absolutely, so, I can too. There's so a... you either you know you either saw it at the festival or you missed it altogether. No, absolutely. I'm I'm a huge fan of uh, South American films now because of my film festival experiences, and I can name you at least 15 South American films that I've seen that are beautiful, beautiful, beautiful like dramas. They do great dramas um, that I've yet to see released anywhere. Like I have a list like you, I have a running list of films that I've seen at festivals and things that have been recommended to me. And literally the, the most frustrating thing is like the once a month search for those, those films to see if there's any availability of them and just to see that they're not. And that's part of why you would go, like you go to a festival, even a virtual one. I mean, like, like, uh, like let it be known, like for me, like flat out, like Chattanooga did it right this year. Like they were the test subjects because they're the first film festival that went with a, a virtual film festival. Um, yeah. Th- and yeah. I, you know, and, and, and it was very clearly intentional, you know, yes. in the sense of, in the sense of a lot of festivals, they were originally supposed to happen the second weekend in April. Yes. And so a lot of festivals that were falling into that time frame were saying, all right, we're going to postpone October. We're going to postpone to some time in the fall, still try to do a live uh, in-person festival and everything like that. And so I think the folks at, at Chattanooga kind of read the tea leaves of, you know, it's it may not be over by then. So a postponement may be tantamount to a cancellation. Mm-hmm. And then I think they also realized that the festival landscape was going to be pretty darn crowded in the fall. 
uh, if you have your usual fall festivals that normally occur, and then you have all these ones postponed from spring and summer to the fall, it's going to be chock-a-block with festivals. And so they got a nice little corporate partnership with Microsoft and said, instead, let's be pioneers and be the first of the online festivals and, and try to break new ground uh, rather than just, you know, hoping for the best later on down the road. It, yes, exactly. And that's that's exactly what happened, which was was I think that the partnership is what really kind of solidified their their platform, because I think that going forward, what's going to be the big thing is going to be um, the platform in which these festivals have their their screening access um and there were no issues for me like there was no slowdown everything was was at least like so like okay so like a little bit of tech talk about this because i think that this is something that people will have to know going forward because i think that this is going to be the model there's going to be no um there's going to be uh, there's going to be no like um there's going to have to be a direct stream. There's not going to be an app. There's not going to be a way to, to, um, what do they call it now? I can't even think I'm not even an old man. And I'm, I'm sounding like an old man when, a, um, when you, uh, put it on from your phone or your tablet. Um, you mean like airplay? Kind yeah. Of like, like you, there's no airplay, but what they do allow for is they do allow for an HDMI connection to your laptop. And I did like, I did that with my Apple. Like I have a, like, like my Apple MacBook pro is like, has a USB, a USB C, but there's like a quick $10 purchase that you can make, which is a USB C to HDMI. You have an HDMI, a long HDMI cable, uh, get like a 15 footer so that you're not like, like all the way going out to your thing, to your phone, uh, your table and back. And it's a beautiful connection. Like they, they stream 1080p. Um, I didn't have any problems with my stream. I have a good Wi-Fi connection though. Uh, but their service didn't ever crash like ever, um, for the films, which was very nice. Um, which I think that is what kind of helped me through this and what made it so good was the fact that their, their streaming platform or their, their, um, their, uh, streaming, like the, the, the place, the, the, the place that they actually had all of their films stored was just pretty easy to navigate. It wasn't that difficult. Yeah. yeah. I mean, clearly they had the, you know, number of servers that they needed, uh, they had the the Microsoft folks that they had partnered in with uh, kind of engineering these things. I think it was what the Microsoft team, mm -hmm. I think, interface was the way that you got into the Q&As and the panels and all of those kind of things. And and so certainly having, you know, the tech experts that they had to partner in with uh, is what helped make it you know, such a good experience. Absolutely. So what I felt like we should do is let's go ahead and talk about the films that we really liked. Uh, we'll leave the other ones. I mean, you know, <laughs> we, we don't really like, do we really need to talk about the films that we didn't like? Um, I mean, especially because to me, it's like, uh, I mean, you know, people like so with these kinds of films, there is a high risk, high reward. And oftentimes we're not, you know, uh, you know, you're, a film is trying to get its grasp. And if 
we're the pierce if if we're the one people that are talking about it and we're shitting on it i don't know um <laughs> but we could definitely talk about like okay so they're like why don't we talk about like the films that we really liked and then we'll kind of go from there um why don't you start off with a film that you really liked and then with and then i'll go back with one that i liked and we kind of have a discussion about them yeah, uh, when you're talking about the, uh, the the films at a festival like this, and I think you're exactly right when it comes to kind of the polarizing aspect of things, is they're very much what I call wavelength films. Yes, yes. You know, you're, you're just kind of on the wavelength with the film, or you're not. Exactly. And and so the amazing thing to me, because they always have these strands on Twitter, threads, what have you, uh, where people are like, you know, name your top five films from Chattanooga. And somebody's top five would be like my least favorite five films that I saw. Yes. And maybe vice versa. And so that's the interesting thing, you know, about these movies. Um, the first one that, that I would point out is a film called Dirty God. Um, and I believe that this was done with some funding from perhaps Ireland, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. And uh, But it is about a young mother who is severely burned when a boyfriend of hers or kind of a former boyfriend of hers gets back at her by throwing acid on her. And so she's, you know, disfigured facially down her body. I mean, they've, they've done some fairly elaborate makeup effects, uh, where you can see where this acid hit her and then just kind of ran down her. And so there's part of her body that looks completely normal. And then there's the other part of her that doesn't. Doesn't, yeah. And and so it's just a, a, a look at, at the very beginning of the film, she's getting out of the hospital. So it's just getting back into life and and trying to, you know, get a job and trying to look after your child and trying to, you know, interact and be social and all that kind of stuff while feeling like everybody in the room is looking at you. Mm. And uh, and there's some great moments where, like, she uh, bumps into a um, young Muslim woman uh, who is wearing, you know, one of the traditional garb. And literally the only thing that shows in the garb is her eyes. Mm. So she goes to a store and buys one of those outfits just so that she can walk around for a day feeling quote unquote normal. Oh, okay. You okay. know, going yeah. in and out of stores, in and out of places. Nobody's looking at her twice because they're used to seeing something like that. But the but it covers up her face, her body, everything that is burned. Mm. And and so it's just a, it's a really good uh, indie drama, character driven. It's not really a, occasionally you know uh, Chattanooga. Uh, you know, has wonderful films that are not necessarily genre films, just little indie jewels that they found somewhere along the way. And uh, and so this was one of those. And so it's something that, you know, once it hits some kind of VOD distributor or streaming service or what have you, I can definitely recommend it because it's uh, it's super. Yeah, I saw I saw that it was playing and it was one of those films that I feel like if it catches on, I'm going to see it at AFI. So I kind of made the decision to not see it because I'd also seen I'd also heard good buzz about it. Um, And it was also like the other thing was, was that I heard that it was it's one of those. um, I don't want to make it sound like it's a bad thing, but it's one of those one and dones where it's like you've seen it once. It's so powerful that you're 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 good. 
Like you, you, you know, it's like I. There's no reach. There's a rewatchability, maybe in a couple of years, but at the end of the day, it's it's like this is powerful filmmaking. You're we're good once you see it. Uh, once you see it once. I mean, yeah. is that the yeah, kind no, of? I don't, yeah, I don't necessarily disagree with that. I mean, I think there's always, you know, with people like you and me, mm-hmm. uh, the rewatching while sharing with people. Yes. Of things, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you really need to see this. So I'll sit here and watch it with you, kind of a thing. Uh, but uh, but yeah, but otherwise, I I kind of uh, agree. It's uh, you know, it's intense. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Um, I'm going to actually talk about, uh, so my choice uh, to talk about uh, is something that you didn't see, but I did see, which is a very niche film. But I feel like after thinking about it, I really liked it and I liked its approach, um, which is Fulci is for fake, um, which is a yep. a documentary um, about Lucio Fulci and his life. Um this film, what I appreciated about it was that it was a biography. Like, let me be clear about this. This is not like a film biography where they're showing like, like it's a clip package. No, this is a this is a show. This is a documentary about Lucio Fulci as a person. And you need to have some knowledge of Fulci. So like the Fulci fans out there. Uh, if you guys love his work and you want to know a little bit more about his personal life that interacted with his his films, because, I mean, he was notorious, like, he was a notorious bastard. I mean, that, there's no there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Like, everything that you read about him was that he was he was a real bastard when it came to a set. A set. He was a tyrant. Um, he only... Like the like he was a bully and the only people that he respected were people that he put that got that pushed him back that were just like just as much of like we're just like, I'm not going to take your crap. Um, But what it does is it, it it doesn't give context for his bullying. What it does is it gives you an idea of the person that he was. It's an actual true biography. So like like if you were like. Like, you know, we were, I was just talking about how I don't like personal stuff in Q and A's, but this is definitely one of those things like, um, like I, I attended South by Southwest virtually and there's a film called my darling Vivian, which is about Vivian cash. It's actually out right now. It's a wonderful documentary, um, that kind of toes a similar line where it's a biography about a figure like a figure in like pop culture and Mm -hmm. but this one is a little bit harder because it actually shows nothing of the per like it shows some kind of like it shows some pictures but like all the all the eight millimeter 16 millimeter footage that they have of Fulci is literally of in in his personal life so it's a recommend for fans of Fulci and horror fans that are wanting to see something that is not like that is handled that's like handled with some more personal touch but I cannot recommend it to anybody that isn't a fan of Fulci that's looking to get into a filmmaker because it's not that kind of documentary um right so but it is in other words watch his filmography get familiar with stuff and then check out that movie exactly exactly but for those who are already Fulci fans which I mean the movie podcast uh, probably has quite a few of them 
Uh, this is definitely a recommend. Uh, and like I said, it, it treats the subject with a fair amount of respect and uh, a lot more personal and emotionally relevant than I had imagined. I got kind of emotional at the end because there are a few things um, in his life, some personal tragedies that they they deal with that are pretty hard, uh, hard hitting. Um, so but I'll leave it for the film to tell. Um, but yeah, uh, Fulci is for fake. Cool. Uh, what is the next movie you wanted to talk about? Uh, let me see here. Did you see, I don't remember, The Vice Guide to Bigfoot? Uh, no, I did not. Okay. Uh, I will uh, uh, we'll speak of this just very quickly, but it, it's hilarious. It's a, it's a paranormal comedy uh, that's kind of following this millennial reporter uh, on some, you know, clickbait story uh, to go to this small, I think it's actually, they, they portrayed it as a small Georgia town. Uh, to, you know, go out into the woods and, and kind of follow Bigfoot. And <laughs> so he has, you know, dreams of, of being a great investigative reporter and always winds up getting stuck doing these, you know, what he considers to be just ridiculous clickbaity kind of uh, stories. And uh, so he hooks up with this guy uh, who is supposed to be kind of like the local Bigfoot expert. And I just thought it was hilarious. I mean, it's a lot of like, you know, quips and dialogue driven and and kind of deadpan humor and, you know, funny looks that people exchange with each other and 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 all of that. It's kind of very self-aware, but uh, but I thought very funny. Uh, and then it kind of takes a twist mid film and and it doesn't necessarily become about something else, but it just heads in another direction. Uh, that uh, kind of about the point that you're thinking, you know, I, I like this movie, but I don't know that they can keep doing this for another 40, 45 minutes and and keep me as as entertained as I have been. Uh, it's like they, they feel you at that point. They understand that that's the case and they kind of take it in another direction. And so uh, this this seems to me to to be, you know, an ideal kind of just, you know, horror comedy on VOD uh, type thing. Maybe something that Shudder would pick up and put on there for a little comedic relief. And so uh, just keep an eye out for the vice guide to Bigfoot because uh, it's entertaining. Absolutely. Um, I remember you telling me about uh, telling me about that. Um, you were like, I think the text was. I'm two minutes in and I'm already laughing. Like <laughs> it sounds about right. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so my next one is something that I know that you, we both saw, um, mm -hmm. which is uh, uh, the scare package. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. this is a very unique, um, this is a very unique, uh, uh, I, I, like I don't even I, I hate to call it like an anthology film because it's really it's it's an anthology film but it's not like I feel like the best way to describe it is if creep show and cabin in the woods had a bastard child this would be it <laughs> it's uh yeah I mean it's a uh, it's an anthology of sorts with, I thought kind of a fairly clever wraparound premise. Yes. Uh, the way that the different films get introduced. 
but it's overall just like a horror spoof, a horror comedy, but not, it's kind of like I told you, I saw it before you did. Yes. And, and so when you were asking me, how was it? I said, well, think of if a series like scary movie had actually really been about making fun of horror movies instead of basically dick jokes and fart jokes. Exactly. And that's, you know, something that actually makes fun of the tropes of horror films, uh, that you've seen again and again and again and pokes fun at all of that. And so that was one of the reasons that I really enjoyed it is because it was so rooted in the things that you've just been watching for years and years and years and horror films that you've always kind of rolled your eyes uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, like, you know, the, uh, the voluptuous gal fleeing the killer who, you know, keeps falling down at the opportune moment, mm-hmm. uh, and all of that kind of stuff. And so they had that one lab that was doing experiments of why, if you're being chased by a hulking killer, do you keep falling off the treadmill? You know, <laughs> I mean, just little jokes like that, but it's, it's full of them. I mean, it's just, you know, kind of relentlessly those kinds of jokes, uh, and so it's like, if you don't find something that's going on at the moment to be funny, well, just, you know, wait 90 seconds and you'll be on to something else. Absolutely. Um, and this is one of the first um, anthology films that has a wraparound that taught like that. A, I feel like magically perfectly ties each of each of the films to the or each of the the shorts or uh, the anthology segments that are directed by different people, mind you. Um that connects it perfectly to the wraparound. And I feel like the wraparound is my favorite part of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's super clever the yes. way that they do it, the way that it's kind of an ongoing story of its own that then blends in these other films is, is really clever. Absolutely. And um, the best part about this one is that it's been picked up by shutter and it's going to be released, I think in July, if I'm not mistaken, uh, and there's a specific, I feel like there's a specific reason why this movie was picked up by Shudder. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, there's a, there's, there's something in it. I'm not going to ruin it because it, it's, it's really too good to ruin. Uh, like, uh, because Scott didn't ruin it for me. And he told me that there's something in there that I would really like that I would laugh at. And literally had me laughing the entire time that this thing was occurring. Um, it's actually June the 18th. Oh, June the... Oh, so there yeah, you go. So like, right around the corner. Two weeks. Um, so, like, you know, uh, it, it's a definite recommend for me. It was the kind... It was the right kind of comedy. Like, the right yeah. kind of horror comedy. And I, I'm somebody who very much so detests horror comedy because most oftentimes they don't get the tone right. Um, and this one magically, especially with, like, the high risk, high reward with the, the I think there's, what, six, seven different filmmakers involved with this? Seven, mm-hmm. seven different filmmaking teams involved with this. And they still manage to feel like all a part of one. So, yeah, it's a definite, like, for me, that one's a definite recommend. And um, I'm glad that it's out so soon so people can see it. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That uh, that one was fun. And I've also uh, seen, I believe, where it's playing at some drive-ins right now. Oh, Okay, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I think I saw a tweet or something about that, that it was playing as a double feature. Matter of fact, it was uh, uh, playing with as a double feature with The Mortuary Collection, ah. which was also an anthology film that came out last year. Yes. Uh, and was playing the festival circuit. I know that it played uh, Fantastic Fest last year. 
which was cool because uh, I got to see uh, Clancy Brown in person uh, for uh, for that movie. Uh, but they have a couple of horror anthologies uh, playing back to back at the the drive-ins these days. So, if you have a drive-in near you uh, that's doing that, support them and go see them, and you'll have a blast because they're both good. No, absolutely. That's that's actually an awesome. That's an awesome twofer. Um, what was your next uh, pick? The my next pick is probably the strangest thing that I saw that I liked. <laughs> <laughs> I saw I saw a couple of strange things that will remain nameless uh, that I didn't particularly care for. I know which one uh, you're talking but, about. <laughs> but climate of the hunter. Okay, I did see this one, um, and and I just really dug it. I mean, it is so oddball. Uh, it's uh, it's basically about these two sisters. Uh, who have a uh, male friend that they've known each other evidently for a long, long time. And he's in the country, normally lives in Europe, uh, and is coming for a visit. And so they're going to meet at this little kind of, you know, lake cabin, whatever you want to call it, just this little lake property where they used to know each other as children and, you know, have a little get together and reminisce and catch up and everything like that. And the kind of conceit of the film is, is that he may be a vampire. Yeah. And but it's, you know, there's something about and I don't know if it's just from being from the South, but when you get into these kind of Southern gothic kind of movies that just has this, you know, cast of just really eccentric oddball kind of characters, I have a tendency to tune out. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of like, I just kind of find it to be like silly. I mean, I'm like, yeah, you know, I mean, there's some characters in the South, just like there's some characters anywhere uh, that are kind of the local, you know, unusual people or something like that. But there's something about the way a lot of those films approach the subject matter that when I watch them, I'm just like, I don't really believe anything I'm seeing. And as outlandish as things in this movie get, I I was bought in the whole time. Um, I did see it. Um, it left me really cold. Like, I know that sounds, sounds really bad, but it left me cold though. I will say, okay, so, um, Okay, so like, like this is a weird sideways compliment for it, uh, and a recommendation. Um, I love Anna Biller's stuff, uh, mm-hmm. the, the filmmaker Anna Biller. Uh, she's amazing, and I feel like Climate of the Hunter is very much so in the same realm as Anna Biller's work is visually, aesthetically, the way that um things play out. Uh, it's got this very sixties like 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 early sixties milieu to it. Um, even with the way it's shot. Um, I love Anna Biller's stuff. Uh, this one left me a little cold just because, um, I just, I, I don't know. I, I couldn't get into it. And I think maybe this is where maybe if I was in a theater and I was trapped with the film, <laughs> I know that sounds weird, <laughs> but if I was trapped with the film, it would lull me in. Like there's a film, like there's another film that I saw at AFI last year called uh, Deerskin um, that I'm pretty yeah. sure that if I had not seen it at AFI and sat down with it, I would not have been able to be lulled into its charms and its kind of vibe. And I like 
climate of the hunter for me is all about vibe i don't know about i don't know mm-hmm. like was it for like was it a vibey film for you too yes yeah exactly a matter of fact earlier when i was discussing that a lot of these are wavelength films mm-hmm. uh this is the one i was most thinking about of the films that i liked Ah, okay. Uh, was I was thinking I could see myself recommending this on this podcast and having somebody come up to me and say, "Dude, what is up with Climate of the Hunter? That movie's awful." You know, yeah. I mean, I could I could just see that because you know it is so just whether or not you're on the wavelength and kind of buy in. Uh, I thought that Ben Hall, who played Wesley, was yes. amazing. Yes. And so just so charismatic and so good and just really makes this unusual character almost kind of have this Shakespearean kind of feel to him. Uh, and so I thought that he was tremendous. I, th- I thought that the, the, the women who were in it were uh, solid as well, but he was the standout to me. And, uh, and so it was just one of those ones that clicked. And so if somebody goes like you just did that, it left you kind of cold and maybe didn't click, I'd be like, I get it. You know, I can see that. Uh, Occasionally I see some movies that I'm like, I have no idea how anybody likes that. Uh, (laughs) But uh, but this one is is definitely one that I can totally see, like the coin flip nature of it, that some people are really going to dig it and find it to be a little, you know, hidden gem that they found out of nowhere. And then other people are going to be like, what in the world was that guy thinking when he thought that this was good? So I get it. No, absolutely. Um, I'm uh it does not have a release schedule yet, but I do know that it do- it is there is like I think somebody did pick it up. Um, it it played Fantastic Fest. Uh, I I know that you knew that, but uh, just to give people an idea, like it did play Fantastic Fest last year. Um, so um, my next one is going to be something I know that you like speaking of fantastic Fest. I know that you saw at fantastic fest. Um, but it's not a feature length film. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about a short film that just like it, it captured me so much that I watched it three times over the weekend because it was such a, it was such a, a fun and it, it tickled my, like, like everybody has fetishes with film and like like scott was saying wavelengths and it specifically spoke to a wavelength that i'm so like that i love dearly which is like the mystical uh, the mystical swordsman's films of asia and then additionally puppetry i love puppetry i'm i'm a big kid at heart i love muppets i love puppets um and it's called the haunted swordsman um it's a short film 16 minutes long and it's I I have an idea that it is probably the first of many of the Haunted Swordsman series, which I hope is the case. But it literally tells the story of a swordsman who, with the decapitated head of another swordsman, climbs the mountain to avenge his master who was killed. And I'm just going to leave the rest up to you to find this uh, short film, but I know Scott had seen it at Fantastic Fest, and there was actually a Q and A that he attended, and I just wanted him to talk to like, did you like the film first? Yeah, 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 definitely. I love the film, and and I felt bad because it was one of those you know like short film blocks mm-hmm. as you typically do uh, at a film festival when it played Fantastic Fest, and. 
you got into one of those situations where it was almost like embarrassingly all of the questions were for him. So it's like, unfortunately, you got like these six or seven short film filmmakers up there and everybody's wanting to ask him about, you know, the puppetry and how many puppets did you have and what size were they? And so he had one of them with him. And so he had one that was about four feet tall. Oh, wow. uh, Yeah. With him uh, that had been used in the film. And he discussed the the variety of ones that he had used, you know, smaller Mm -hmm. ones, different things that were used in different parts of the film for scale and so it was really fascinating and he talked all about it but I like found myself like asking coming up with questions to ask the other filmmakers so it wouldn't be so awkward (laughs) oh man I hate when that happens I hate that I I, I literally was raising my hand and I mean they weren't questions that I wasn't curious about but Mm -hmm. it was just like I wanted to try to come up with a couple of questions to hand out to these other people uh, so that, uh, they would have something to say. No, absolutely. Like, uh, like I hate when that happens, when a Q and a becomes tipped to one side, like you just feel terrible about it and just like, Oh, right. come on guys. Really? Um, so, but yeah, the haunted swordsman and it was actually produced in conjunction with, uh, the Henson, uh, the Henson group. Uh, oh, cool. yeah, something I, I like, I, I, yeah, I did a little bit of research on it. Um, I follow the, um, the filmmaker Kevin McTurk now because it just, it was such a striking film that I had to like actually take a look at his work and stuff. And, um, yeah, no, absolutely. Like it was something that I really wanted cause I did see a block of short films and you can actually read my article about the short films that I watched, um, on the site. Um, uh, I didn't want to take up too much real estate with the short films, but, um, that is something that i feel like like you really should like if you ever do go to a film festival even if it's a virtual one get into the short films like go to the short films go to the short film packages i don't like that they're packages but at the same time like it really does give you an eye into a different kind of filmmaking. Like it's, it's akin to like, to me nowadays, the way that films, like if it's done right, they're akin to a, no, a novella at the worst case. They're like these calling cards that these guys make, or these guys and these men and women make, which I really don't like. I like it when it tells a complete story. Um, but it, it also is a whole other subgenre now of filmmaking is the short film because you can do so you can tell so many personal stories through short films and and they don't have to be they don't ha- you don't have to have feature length films anymore i mean youtube has proven that um like i know that you're like you i mean you ran a, a short film festival um yeah and like, do you have any thoughts about, did you, okay, first off, did you see anything from the shorts or were you just busy you know, with them? I, yeah, I didn't, I had seen some of them already, uh, at other festivals. Mm. And so I, to be honest with you, I spent so much time watching short films for the film festival <laughs> that I work with, yeah. uh, that it's actually kind of a break to watch a feature instead. Uh, and so I have to admit, uh, as embarrassing as it might be, given my role in the world of, uh, short film festivals, uh, I really didn't watch that many of the, the ones that I hadn't already seen. No, oh, absolutely. Okay. No, 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 no worries. No worries. Another one that I just want to mention just really briefly. Um, it's something that I really kind of like, I loved was, um, a short film called metamorphosis. 
And um, like, I'm just going to point you guys to my review of it because it's, it's something really special. It's, it, it's very, it, it, the, it's a voice. It's definitely a voice and I want to see more from this filmmaker. And so like, I point you to my review, which I did a little bit of a lengthy review on um, for a short film. Uh, It's definitely a lengthier thing, but this is a real, like this is worthy. If you're a horror fan, this one is definitely worth checking out because it's, it's a unique voice. um, Something that we don't often see in cinema, like, like the, the actual story. So I'll just point you to that. So, so with that, Scott, um, what was your, uh, what is your next choice? Yeah, my next film uh, that I really enjoyed would be The Beach House. Yes, I yeah. really enjoyed then, that one too. Yeah, and you know it was funny because uh, when I when you were asking me because we we kind of watched and we we I don't know if it was intentional, but it wound up being a very good plan, even if it was inadvertent. Is you would watch something and I would watch something. They wouldn't be the same thing. And then we could compare notes as to whether or not we thought it was something that you'd be interested in seeing. Absolutely. Uh, And so uh, when I saw the beach house, I think the text that I sent you said, think of it as a good film uh, to play as a double feature with color out of space. Yeah. And that instantly made me want to see it. And um, true to your word. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I should note, I think you could triple feature it with Sea Fever. Have you seen Sea Fever that's on VOD? Yes, I did. Um, <laughs> I, I did. I, I, I did actually like it. Um, I was actually thinking that you could also do the thing with it if you wanted to oh, go yeah. old school. Oh, definitely. Um, definitely. It's okay. So like, like visually, like I wanted to just let people know, like visually, it is not as is wild and out there as color out of space. Like, Mm-mm, like no, it's more no. thematically. It, exactly. It's, it very much so like pairs perfectly with uh color out of space. I mean, it, it's just, it's the perfect complement to one another um in a really big way. And what I love about it, uh, like for me, and I don't know about you is um, I love that it's genre, but it's genre with acting with a capital A. And what I mean by ca- acting with a capital A is not a snarky comment. It's just that the acting is so damn good in this in 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 this um in this film. Like, and they help sell the premise of the movie. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, it's uh, it's once again this idea of you know something otherworldly filtering into our world. Yes. And so with color out of space, you have, you know, the meteor that lands and, you know, they almost treat it, you know, like when we discussed it, like radiation sickness or something. Mm-hmm. And, and this is more environmental, like something that just kind of comes blowing in, uh, to this particular community. And I think it's, uh, important that, it's been closed up. You know, it's one of these the, the uh, communities that kind of has the season and the off season. And so it's been the off season and these people are up here at a time that people aren't normally there. And exactly. so then it, and so then it leads you to wonder, is this something that happens all the time, but it's because nobody's there. 
that it doesn't have some kind of profound effect or, or what is it? But it, it's this interesting thing of these folks are kind of up at this, you know, oceanfront property uh, in the off season and something bizarre in the surrounding environment begins to happen. And so it, it has thematic comparisons to color out of space, but you're right. It's, it's almost the antithesis. It has a very kind of washed out look. It doesn't have that vibrant, colorful look. Uh, that Color Out of Space has, uh, but just story elements and thematically speaking, they're they're interesting companion pieces. No, they definitely are, and um, this one actually is going to be on Shutter. I think in July it's coming out in in on uh, Shutter. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I do absolutely hundred percent know that it is uh, Shutter acquired it, and it's a perfect Shutter film. Um, it's that unique brand of horror that. Um, some people would call niche, but it really isn't niche because if you can, if you can get into it, it's a pretty terrifying film. Um, I think that it like made it especially so for the current climate right now in the COVID climate, especially with the way that they slowly find out what this, what this is because they don't really a hundred percent know, which I love. Like my whole thing is, is like, don't tell me what it is don't give me some kind of explanation uh or or like if you give me an explanation give me a hypothesis don't give me everything like a one-to-one ratio because it kind of strips the premise and also everything of its power like for me like what what dreads me in this whole entire film is that they don't exactly a hundred percent they don't even know 20 percent of what's going on and that's the scariest point Right. Yeah. No, exactly. Exactly. It's, uh, it's, uh, uh, very, uh, you know, frantic, uh, not being able to figure out what is going on in the world around you, uh, a very, uh, uh, intense premise. It's almost like something that, you know, feels inescapable. And no, absolutely. And, um, <laughs> I have to say um, when I was watching it, like, um, the, the younger, uh, the younger, uh, male lead, Noah Lagos, I was like, where do I know him? He's, uh, he's James Lagos's son and he looks just like him. Like, it's scary how, like how much he looks like him, like circa right. drugstore cowboy. Like, I was like, oh my <laughs> gosh, this guy looks exactly like his dad. Um, uh, and also like just special shout out to like all of the actors involved in this. It's a four, it, it's, it's a, it's a four, it's like four person kind of thing where there's the two couples, but mm -hmm. like the acting in this and also the makeup effects work in this is just the chef's kiss. It's it's really well done. And I think that that's what really helps uh, this film be as special as it is. And, and it's definitely worth a watch when it comes to shutter. Um, especially if you're like really into like, if you're into that kind of horror film, the pandemic horror film um, as, as it's been, uh, uh, as it's been coined now. Right. Um, but yeah, like that was a great choice. That one was actually recommended to me by Scott. Like Scott had had uh, like, you know, was like he was the first one that saw it and he's like, hey, you need to see this. <laughs> exactly. uh, like he literally texted me exactly what he said. Color out of space. And he and yeah, it's definitely well, well, well worth it. Um, so um, <laughs> I know this is going to sound bad, but like I think like my 
like other big recommend. Okay, so like let let let's pause for a second and talk about something. So we both saw surviving the game for this film festival because there was a Q and A with the was supposed to have Ice T and Ernest Dickerson. Dickerson didn't show up for whatever technical reasons. Um, but we did watch the Q and A. We're actually putting surviving the game in the banks for us to actually do a full episode on because it really yeah. does deserve a full episode. Yeah. Yeah, um, we um, it definitely. And then there's an, like the movie that we're going to be talking about next, my next choice, because I know this is going to sound bad, but everything else was kind of middling after this. Um, this one, we're going to talk about a little bit, but we're also going to keep this one also for a release when it's actually released, because it's for me, it's that good. Um, which is skull, the mask. Um, yep. which is my number one. Yes. That was my number one for the festival too. Um, and it's the thing that we're, unless Scott has something else that he wants to talk about. I, I feel like this is the one that we're going to close out with. Uh, yeah. With I know that works for me. Absolutely. Um, uh, so this is a Brazilian film that like, I was like, when I read the description, I was like, you know what? I, I got to give this a try. A slasher film from Brazil, um, a Sao, oh, from oh, specifically uh, in Sao Paulo, um, about an ancient demon that takes the form of a human and starts killing people. Uh, and then, nine, like close to 90 minutes later, I text Scott and I tell him, dude, Skull the Mask is like, Jason takes Sao Paulo. <laughs> and, and, and I was like, I'm in. <laughs> and, but then I also added in the caveat. I'm like, it's a, it's also a procedural movie, like a police procedural yep. movie, yep. which adds a little bit more of a twinge for both of us because we both like procedural films. Um, uh, but done, done in a way like, okay, so what for me separates Skull the Mask from other slasher films is that, that it's done specifically for an, like it, it specifically feels like it's done for its Brazilian audience, but yeah, through that narrow, that, that, that I, I hate to use the word narrow because it's not narrow, but through that specific gaze, it gives you something of an entryway into the culture, but it also makes it like, so universal in the way that it uses certain specific tropes, but never makes it feel like it's ha uh, like homaging things that are like that make you groan. Like there's a couple of things in there that they quote the carpenters, the thing that you're like, wait, it happens in such a weird way. And so quickly you go, wait, wait, did these guys actually quote like Botines work in Carpenter? Fuck, yep. what the hell's going yep. on here? Yep. Um, it's just this wild ride of a film. I mean, it literally is like once it starts its rampage, it's literally fucking Jason takes Sao Paulo. Yeah, yeah, it is. I mean, you're right in the sense of kind of like the hulking, unstoppable killer uh, killing folks. Uh, and, you know, he almost has like his own version of the, uh, you know, Michael Myers or, or Jason coveralls and, and, and that kind of a, an outfit almost. Uh, but you're right. What really differentiates it from those other uh, things is how very specifically South American it is. 
and yep. and how it's caught up in you know the archaeology and you know religious customs and ceremonies and you know myths and superstitions and all of this kind of stuff uh and so it really gives it a a, a unique flavor it has kind of like this just gonzo midnight movie level of gore uh to it when there is violence uh, but, uh, but there's a lot more going for it than, than just that. No, absolutely. And the directors, Armando Fonseca and Capel Furman, like they're, uh, these guys are madmen. Like I actually, uh, I actually like the reason why we're holding off on this is because I'm trying to work. Uh, I'm going to be working with them to actually get them on the podcast. Um, because be like, awesome. yeah, I, posted some pretty effusive praise for the for the film when I first saw it on our instant uh on our um uh, Instagram media page uh in the stories and then like he followed and then he also additionally one um Armando reached out and just thanked me for like you know giving the praise and I was like it's totally worth it dude like you know but I like you know I reached out like the like the PT Barnum I am and we're going to closer to the release of the <laughs> film once they get um, once they get distribution, um, we're going to have them on because I really do want to talk to them about, cause I also, wa- I don't know, Scott, did you watch the Q and a with them on it? Yeah, I did. Okay. I did. And, and uh, I, I can't remember whoever the, uh, the, the younger one was, he was so effusive about everything. I mean, he was like, it was so much fun to watch him feeding off of the positive reaction to the film because, uh, he was just like a little kid in a candy store or whatever that, uh, you know, with his level of, of excitement that people were really, you know, digging the movie. And so I, I really love the, the energy, uh, of that Q and a, because, you know, I mean, they're the same story that you hear from so many people that make these kinds of movies, you know, no money, mm-hmm. you know, very little cooperation with people, Uh, putting it together on a shoestring budget and just, you know, believing in themselves that the story is interesting and that people would enjoy it. And then, you know, they made a a great little horror film. Absolutely. Um, They like they really, really did. It is like my favorite thing from the festival and from the past couple of weeks. Like I keep on going back to thinking about like just how much fun I had with the film and Mm -hmm. how they were able to put together this film with the time frame that they shot i mean guys they sh- like when you see this film you will not believe that they shot it in 16 days like yeah, there there are films like like there are films that action scenes don't take 16 days to film <laughs> right <laughs> um and they're just like their level of enthusiasm is translate like the best part about it is is like like Guillermo del Toro they're their uh, like their enthusiasm translates to on screen like it's mm-hmm. i know i've seen a lot of filmmakers where they're enthusiastic about their work and they're enthusiastic in general and then i watch their films and i'm like uh yeah this is a flaming piece of shit um <laughs> and i feel bad about it but i mean that's right. my honest reaction but then like these guys like they they have that like I, like it's the it's not just because they're both uh, like uh, Latino filmmakers, like uh, Guillermo del Toro and and um, and these guys, like the uh, Capel uh, Furman and Armando, like they're not. It's not because um, they're this they're Latino. It's just that 
they have so much enthusiasm for their yeah, work. Yeah. You can just feel their love of the medium. Exactly. And then you like know. like they talked about like like I mean they had and I love when filmmakers have like wildly divergent like like Oh, like references like they're like what they loved was something that not all filmmakers love like you know or like they weren't they weren't inspired by something that is typical like you know they mm-hmm. talked a lot about wrestling which was which was great <laughs> yeah like they 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 talked about how much wrestling inspired them and like that to me like like that you can see it in the film you can see it in the stunt work you can see it in the way that they presented their um they presented yep, the, the action, the action yep. and everything. And um, like, it's just, it's a, I can't wait for you guys to see this movie. Like, I really hope, like, I really hope that distribution gets, uh, gets firmed up so that they can show it like sometime soon. Maybe, maybe like, you know, it'd be the perfect Halloween movie. Cause it's such a good throwback. Um, yeah. That, that was my question to them. You know, we were watching the Q and a live. Yeah. And so the question that I typed in was, uh, how can I recommend this to people? Where can I tell them to find it? Uh, and they said that they were in in talks or whatever to hopefully have it playing maybe a couple of more uh, online festivals before the end of the year. Uh, but you could tell that nothing had been firmed up about it going to a streaming service or receiving VOD release or anything like that yet. It was truly a, uh, you know, uh, U.S. premiere that we were seeing of it. May have been the world premiere yeah. uh, of it. And so we were kind of the first audience to to get to catch it. And so it's definitely one that I will, you know, keep on people's minds uh, when it hits. No, absolutely. I, I'm definitely, yeah, it's definitely on my list to bang the drum for because it's, once it is released, um, I hope it gets, like, this is, like, I know we've talked about pandemic and stuff and, like, watching stuff not in a theater, but I really do hope it gets a theater, a theatrical release. I mean, even more so, like, it would be awesome if it got, like, a drive-in release. Like, if it... If yeah, it, that would be awesome. It so fits that drive-in mm-hmm. uh, kind of mood. Absolutely. Um, and especially considering how much we're like, you know, like the only thing that you could see the like the only big, big theater experience is at the drive ins right now. Like it would be perfect. Right. Um, but I also wouldn't be mad if it got if it got a release from Shudder because Shudder would handle this one with, with like would be perfect to handle this one. Yeah. And they do a good job putting together foreign horror films. I've seen oh, a yeah. number uh, of great uh, foreign horror films on that service over the last, you know, six months. Oh yeah, and so that would be a great addition. No, absolutely. There, there's actually one that I was going to ask you to watch. Um, that's a Korean, uh, a Korean monster film that's really kind of knocked my socks off. That was post. Oh, that was it Monstrum. Yes, yes. Yeah, I've got that on my list to to check out. That one is uh like that one's yeah I liked that one a lot like it's it's definitely one of those it's not um it, it it's not time to hunt great it's not that right. kind of greatness but right. it's still like you can see why Shutter picked it up and you can also see why no one else picked it up which is unfortunate right. like right. it's very niche but if you like monster movies and you like them you know with a little bit of historical flair it's like yeah. So cool. I'm yeah. to check that out. No, absolutely. Um, anything else that you wanted to talk about from the festival that we haven't really, no, just, about? you know, just hats off to Chris Dorch and, and all the folks on his team. I thought they did a great job, 
of uh, you know the the Q and A's and 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 moderating things and the interviews because you know poor Chris kind of got thrown into the fire on a couple of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, I think uh, Joe Bob Briggs was supposed to interview Mick Garris. Yeah. Uh, about the stand. And for whatever reason, Joe Bob couldn't make it. And so Chris wound up filling in. Uh, and so he proved himself to be, you know, a, an adept interviewer along with, uh, you know, a festival organizer. And so uh, just hats off to those guys for, you know, not giving up because I, I trust me, I, I have done a film festival on a smaller scale than what they are doing. And you don't make any money doing it. You do it for the love of it. It's a crap ton of work and stress just for the hopes that you're bringing the audience an enjoyable experience. And so it would be very easy to just say, uh, you know, COVID I can bail. Nobody's going to blame me, uh, and just take a year off and try to start planning for next year. Uh, and instead he tried to kind of push forward and well, not, Kinda, he did push forward into uh, new territory with what they did. And so, you know, hats off to him for, you know, sticking to his guns and uh, continuing to to push his festival. No, absolutely. Um, I really did like, yeah, a true good uh, big shout out to Chris Dorch. He he like he really kind of put this together after I mean, like after like, you know, reading his Twitter and his social media threads and hearing just how this thing came together. Like it's hats off to him. Um, if there is a physical one next year, I'm definitely like, like this is the kind of metal and mustard that like makes me want to go to a festival. So like this, like if it, there is a physical one next year, hopefully um, I'm going to, I'm going to make strong attempts to, to attend because um even though it was like my thing is that even though it was it was a virtual festival and I didn't meet anybody like the fact that the host the Q&A hosts and all of the different um different uh like Q&As made me feel like it was a personal festival which is always my favorite so yeah absolutely absolutely i mean you felt like you were kind of just eavesdropping on conversations that these filmmakers were having uh with people and like you were just right there with them you just couldn't you know reach out and touch them and so uh so it was uh was really well done no absolutely absolutely and um i will make one really quick shout out to um you guys like you can find the scripts gone wild version of their uh, Chattanooga Film Festival read of the thing. Um, I definitely recommend you uh, checking it out just for the goat that is Barbara Crampton, who like literally like she played McCready um, in a nice kind of flipping the script of like having um, having a few females in the actual cast, like, you know, like changing the genders on the uh, on the cast. But also she wasn't just doing script, the script reading. She was sitting there on the Zoom or I'm sorry, on the teams and you'll see it, her changing costumes so that she matched perfectly what what um Kurt Russell was wearing during each of the scenes, but then also because they got an earlier draft of the film, um, she kind of took it upon herself to become the MC and was very knowledgeable, like, like so much so that she knew her shit. Like she basically stopped 
uh, like after the scene was over, she stopped and she said, hey, guys, we should just tell them that this is not something from the original film that or this was reordered in editing. And then people would actually chime in that knew more of the information about it, like, you know, even more so. But it was kind of a it was a great experience. It was three hours long, but so well worth it just because if you've not listened to the scripts gone wild um uh, podcast. It's not a podcast. It's a YouTube uh, show. Uh, I definitely recommend it. And this would be the perfect one to do. Any other recommends for you, Scott? That is it for me. I think we've uh, done it justice. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, so, Scott, where can people find you on the social medias and yeah. Uh, yeah, on I the interwebs? Yeah, I can be found on uh, Twitter at mscott underscore Phillips. And uh, then I do uh, video reviews for WRBL.com and uh, most of my written content in this podcast through TheMovieOwl.com. Absolutely. You can find this podcast and the... Um and the movie or uh, the movie aisle on social media on Instagram. Uh, it the handle is uh, the movie aisle, and the um, one for the podcast is B Movie Pod. Uh, no letters, no dashes. Uh, just uh, uh, B Movie Pod. Uh, you can always read my work and everybody else's work uh, on uh, the movieisle.com. I've got a lot of content coming out now. Um, it appears that a lot of the home video uh, boutique labels that I'm I I have access to um, are finally starting to uh, be able to get stuff out screener wise. So. You're going to see a lot of Arrow video and uh, Shout and Scream Factory stuff. Uh, we've also got some some stuff that's going to be playing VOD coming up, some reviews of stuff like that. So uh, just know that we're like on the website. Like I can tell you guys are definitely going on to the website. So thank you for that. Thank you for our the support. But we're not like just sitting idly by. Uh, I'm not sitting idly by like, you know, like just this week I was able to post like five different reviews. So please go onto the website, support us. And also, uh, you know, I know Scott is still doing his his video reviews. Please go ahead and go on to the um, the website. I, I, I've been I think I've been posting it. I hope I've been posting it. If I haven't, I will make the adjustment. I've been posting the 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 website portal for his video reviews because they're great. He's doing all of the home video like he's doing all of the most current releases when he's uh, when those things are released. So if you want to like know what's good and what's bad, I definitely say go there. And with that, guys, we'll talk to you next week. Um we will be actually next week. I can honestly say I know what we're actually doing, Scott. We are actually finishing up Time Warp, uh, the the uh, the ongoing documentary series, which is yep. with its third and final part, actually talking about comedy, which is something that I'm actually excited to do with you, Scott, because we don't talk comedy all that often. That's very true. That's very true. And it is the, uh, I think the longest of the three films in that series. So, uh, we should have plenty of material for a good conversation. Absolutely. And I think that we'll find out like what our comedic tastes are because it's, it looks like it's a wildly different and up and down kind of thing <laughs> that they're, they're talking about there. So right. with, with that guys, we will talk to you soon. Don't forget to get